listen to The Business of Life with Arlene Dickinson and me, Jan Arden. Gracious hello, everybody. Hi, Arlene. Hey, how are you? I'm very well. Would you pay $75 for a cup of coffee? Absolutely, positively not. Would you? Okay, well, there's people. <laughs> I just, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. You can probably tell that I've been like reading reading the world's crazy news and that was just something that stuck out to me because I was feeling guilty this past week. I have one of those apps on my phone to get coffee at at Starbucks. Am I allowed to say Starbucks everybody? Well, I am. So, I've got one of those apps on my phone and um You should say Balzac. I I order a really weird coffee and I know I'm not the only one. So, this is what I drink. Don't judge me. I drink a four-shot decaf um, half sweet caramel almond milk grande latte. I know I'm not saying that in the right order, but that's what I order. Four, so they always ask me again sh- what it is. A four shot. Four shots of decaf. What? What? Four okay, shot. Why do you need four shots of it's decaf? I, because I like a really. I like the coffee flavor. I like a really strong coffee flavor, and in a grande, it's not that much. I don't even know why they don't call it medium, but I won't even get started down that road. So anyway, that's what I order. It's $8.60. So every time I do it, and I only have like one a week. I'm not a big, I don't live in the city, as you know. I live out in the country, so I don't have a coffee shop, so I don't got anything out there. So when I was reading this, I I always felt bad about $8.60. And then when I tip, it's like $9.60, because I always put a buck on my app, because I'm thinking these people work so hard. Anyway... $75. Um, It's called Clatch Coffee in San Francisco. And it's made from some kind of bean called... They're grown in Panama. That's what they're grown. They're called the Alita Geisha Natural. (laughs) And it's 800 bucks a pound. Does some bird poop it out and then they take the coffee bean that's been pooped out? No, I don't know what that is. That's that's like a... It doesn't a monkey eat something and then they poo it out? I don't know. But, you know, $75, to me, that is the height of... Wealth privilege, right there. Oh, that is God. when you have too much money and not enough brains, and you're spending oh. money on ridiculously stupid things. But I'm Arlene, sorry, you do not need to spend seventy five dollars for a cup of coffee. I know, but what do you pay for a glass of wine? There's there, the people that's different. Paying that for wine, <laughs> okay, they, but you that is different. Wine. I would not. No, you cannot compare a, a glass of wine that has gone through a process and has been. Produced Arlene, and this is going through no. a process. Okay, I, okay, but I, well, first of all, I wouldn't pay seventy five dollars for a glass of wine. Although I have paid too much for a glass of wine, I will, I definitely will admit that. What's the most expensive bottle of wine you've ever bought? People want to know, and I want to know. I'll tell you what mine was if you'll tell me what yours was. The most expensive bottle of wine I've ever bought, personally or drank, yeah. that I paid. Well, for. okay, person, no, the one you've bought because you know I know that you oh. do business dinners. What's the most expensive bottle of wine you've ever bought? Oh, I'm so embarrassed right now because now if I think about it as a on a per glass basis, it's going to come out to about 70. It's going to be more because I think I've paid over $500 for a bottle okay, of wine. Okay, well, I but, beat I, I, you. Rarely. Okay, I'm, rarely. I'm beating you on that because I have spent, I was drunk. What I was in spend? New York City. Yeah. I was at a at a place that Mario Batali owned early in his career before he ruined everything by assaulting women. Allegedly, I will say that. Mistreating them or whatever he was doing. So I was in one of his restaurants in New York City. I'd already been clearly drinking, you know, a fair amount 
So, of course, all bets were off. My inhibitions were whatever. I was being the high roller. Not that I'm a rich person, because I'm not. Anyway, I um, <laughs> I bought a bottle of wine that was $1,800. <gasps> oh, my when gosh. When you think about <laughs> buyer's remorse, like what I went through the following day when I pulled this restaurant receipt out of my jacket pocket, I felt like bawling my head off. It was so stupid. And we were so hammered. We didn't, I couldn't have told, told you what this glass of wine tasted like. Anyway, I won't, we won't make a bigger story out of this than that need be. But yeah, $75 for a cup of coffee. But I don't know, $1,800. How many glasses of wine is there in a bottle? I don't drink anymore, so it remind me. Is there four or five? I think there's four like, or five, depending on Could you do four or five how, people with a bottle of wine? Yeah, five, five glasses probably. Four, okay, four so good, somebody good do the glasses. math for me because I'm not... Grade, like I said, I barely graduated college. I didn't graduate college. Now I'm making that up. But what is that? Like 300 bucks a glass? <laughs> no, that's not, no, it's a little bit more than $300 a glass. Oh, it's my about gosh. Is it? Is that right? Okay. About $500 a glass? No, yeah, $500. No, no, I'm wrong. It's it's $400 a glass. Four, eight, okay. Yeah, it's $400 a glass. Is, so there uh, you go. $1,600. You said it was $1,800. So, so it's $425 a glass if it's oh four glasses. Oh, my Lord. Well, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, that's I my shocking news that, you know, people are lining up and paying for this. There's some kind of really expensive ice cream um, sundae. It's in the state somewhere. I believe it's in Florida, and it's... This ice cream shop is selling it. Of course, they're coming into summer. And it's, I think it's $1,000 for the Sunday, but it's got like gold leaf all over it. Those little tiny papers of the thin gold leaf, it's over the cherry and there's some kind of, anyway, yeah. So do you, it's, do you when you say that, Jen, and I mean, I don't want to get too serious about what could, should be a frivolous topic, but it's, when you say that, I've really noticed lately that I feel like I'm, you know, I mean, I two things have happened to me in the last little while, I guess I will talk about and share. One of them is, is I've really started to become a, a homebody in a bad way, maybe bad way, but maybe good way. And I don't really enjoy, uh, so if, if given a choice, I think we've talked about this before, going out or staying home, I will always stay home, always. But I've gotten to the point where I can actually just stay home. And, and not want to go, like I'll be invited out and go to things and I just don't want to go anymore. And when I do go out, when I generally when I go out, I'll go out for long walks by myself uh, for the most part because I love walking. And when I'm out walking, what's really striking me lately, there's two things. When I'm home, I think about it. And when I'm out walking, I think about it. I think about all the things that I have in my life and how little I need them. And I walk past people that I know have so little and I see mm-hmm. homeless people on the street and I see people walking by that I know have so much worry and, and stress in their lives. And, you know, we talk about wealth. Wealth is relative. I understand that. But I, I know that I have much more than many. And and as do you. We both do. And we we have all these things. And I'm really starting to feel this this incredible weight that is coming along with that. Now, I don't know how those two things are connected, why I am bringing them up together. I, I have to kind of unbundle that in my mind. I, I feel like part of it is I, I go out and it, it overwhelms me when I go out. I see all these things and I want to fix it all and I want because I'm a fixer in life. So I see all these problems and I want to fix them for people and I know I can't. 
but I should try and do something. And so part of me wants to just stay home and then not be exposed to all that. And then when I am home, I feel even, I can even feel worse because then I'm surrounded by these things that I have. And I think, well, I don't need all this stuff. What can I do with these things? So we spend our lives acquiring things and buying things and wanting to have fancy stuff and, you know, clothes and shoes and jewelry and all the stuff. And then, and then you get older and you realize all you want is to get rid of all that stuff and simplify your life and, and help other people. Am I making sense? Like, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. There's a time for things, Arlene. There's a time to have things. I, I look around, you know, I think everyone's going Marie Kondo crazy because of, you know, hanging on to things that give you joy. I got a lot of crap in my house and uh, it's not crap, actually. Every single thing in my house, somebody has given to me or it's, it's reminds me of something that I've done. But, you know, you, you, you're being way too hard on yourself. There is a time for things and there's going to be a time for no things. And I have learned that by going through my parents' stuff. It has been arduous. It has been upsetting. It has been surprising. I found, I told you this, I found the Kama Sutra, like under their bed when I was cleaning the house. Like, trust me, I don't want to know this stuff. The Kama Sutra, like my parents had under their bed. Anyway, there's just, you go through people's lives. And on, on the weekend, I had eight friends come because I still am clearing things out. I'm clearing out 60 years of stuff between my parents. And... I've still got 80% of it, the stuff that's in the yard and all those things. But they're, obviously, you can't take it with you, but it was all things that were important to them. Mom had so many hundreds and hundreds of recipes cut out. She had hundreds, uh, if not thousands, of Christmas cards um, that I couldn't find envelopes for. So I ended up, I, I, you know, I, I kept some of them and then I'm going, what the hell am I going to do with these Christmas cards? I don't even send Christmas cards anymore. Did you keep them? But I, I am going to, the one thing that it has prompted me to consider and to do as I roll forward here in the next 10 years, I'm absolutely going to give things away, give them to, you know, shelters or, or, um, I'm going to give them, I'm going to clear that down. I'm not there yet, but I'm going to. I've been doing a lot of that. I've been giving, um, like I've been going through my closets and, you know, there's there's lots of really great organizations where you can give clothes to women that are trying to get jobs or, you know, like who, who need um, professional clothing. You know, there's lots of stuff you can give away. I, I've given a lot of stuff away to my family and my kids. I, I, I feel like this is, you're right, there is a time that, you know, we want to be aspirational and, and gather stuff, but... I know, sounding very, it uh, sounds, anyway, well, let's talk about something else. I just else. think you're being far too hard on yourself. I mean, there, you can't, if you go through life comparing yourself to other people, whether they are seemingly above you in, in you know, the, the big scheme of things or that appear to be below you, I, I really, I struggle with the same things. I mean, I literally was sitting with my friend Leah on the sidewalk last week. We were having an ice cream cone. Um, we were having, I was having some kind of, it was delicious, whatever it was. And this guy came up to us, very disheveled, very anxious looking. He had a wild look in his eyes. Uh, He was filthy. And, you know, obviously I was scared for a little bit. We were in quite a nice part of, of town. And he just said, do either of you ladies have $2.50? I'm short for a bag of meth. 
And I looked at, and I didn't have any money in my pocket, and I would have given it to him had I had it. I, we had used a credit card. You would have given um, it to him? I would have given it to him. I, I know that that's such a conflict for people, and we did. We, we mentioned it to our friends afterwards, and it was quite a big debacle debate that went on. Why would you give that to him? I'm like, because, I don't know, well, you could have killed him. I'm like, oh, it opened this can of worms that I was ill-prepared for. And I'm like, I, I didn't even consider that. But, I mean, I think when you give money to people, for the most part, I don't think it's to go for, uh, to buy a bag of kale. I'm pretty sure it's going to some kind of a drug. Would you not agree? I think that there are, you know, sometimes it's going for food. Sometimes it's going for cigarettes, which I guess is a form of drug. You know, it's nicotine. Um, sometimes it's going for, you know, hand warmers, you know, things they need. Like, I, I, and I guess we can't, we don't know what they're going to do with the money, but that doesn't stop their need for it, I guess. I, no, I, no. So I, it's to get a meal or whatever. But, I mean, this, a lot of times you see these signs that are like, uh, hey, I'm not going to lie to you, need money for pot. Not gonna lie, need need money for beer. So you know, sometimes they just cut straight to the chase. But any way you spin it, it is unbelievably sad. It's unbelievably conflicting for me, and I think for a lot of people, I, you know, there's people that walk every day to their jobs or they they do the same route, and imagine, you know, every day they've got people asking them for money, and you know. It, you, you can't help people all the time. And I'm very, I still am very torn as to whether I give them money or I don't give them money. My mom, I, I remember she, you know, whenever we did go into town um, for groceries, you know, it was a rarity to see somebody asking you for money. But I remember this specifically. We were at the co op, the Calgary co op, and it was at the very edge of town. Uh, it was before Calgary really spread out. This is probably, it's got to be 40 years ago. I was 14, 15, 16 years old. And she gave the guy a $5 bill. There wasn't even toonies or loonies back then, I don't think. But it was, it'll, I'll never forget it. This guy just came right up to the car and it kind of scared us. And he just said he was hungry and that could we please give him some money. Um, that was the one time she gave money. Another time was a guy came up and he said, I ran out of gas, I need money for gas. And she gave him like money at that time too. And she really believed in helping people. So that has kind of stuck with me. Yeah, I, I, I'm, uh, I, I, I believe in that too i mean it's and maybe it's not any of our business what they do with the money so i think a friend of mine said that to me once she said listen you've got to it doesn't matter it's not up to you how they spend that money or what they're going to spend it on and you can't speculate she goes you're wrong you're wrong to do that you know you can't that that's not what this is about you're going to help them or not because it's not up to you to be to lord over them how they're going to spend that 50 cents or whatever and I I tend to agree with that but he literally asked us for $2.50 it was very precise for he was short for a bag of meth and it made my heart hurt it's it's such a messed up life sometimes and it's a messed up world when we can walk we've walked past people and not see the human but or the need just you know because a lot of it is mental illness a lot of it is caused by you know problems with I think I don't know if I've talked to you have I talked to you about Covenant House and sleeping out on the streets and how have I ever mentioned that to you 
No. No. Let me let me tell you about that because it really changed the way I. Are you sure we haven't talked? Thirty-seven. I, I don't think we. In. Listen, okay. I would remember that. All we right. Haven't. So let me tell you about um, Covenant Houses. Is a, a shelter in Toronto that deals with uh, youth, and it helps to get them off the streets, and and it helps them with you know many things, many aspects of their life, and so they have this thing where you can executive sleep out on the street, and you're supposed to, and you're you're out to raise capital for the for the um, shelter. And mm-hmm. so I've done it a couple times. And when you go out to sleep on the streets, um, they put you into a parking lot that is, you know, it's guarded. Like you're not literally um, sleeping in the middle so of downtown Toronto. So it's a little bit Toronto, of a different experience from people who are actually on the streets. Yeah, you are. In, you're, you're sleeping in a protected area, but you're still, you know, in a, you're in a parking lot. Protected meaning that there's, you know, a couple people standing around while you're sleeping. And so you have, you know, 30 or 40 people and they give you a piece of cardboard paper and they give you um, a, a, just a regular sleeping bag and you come and you, you know, they tell you to dress warmly because they don't know when they organize this, they don't know what the weather will be like. And it's been quite cold the times I've done it. And you wear, uh, you know, you have a toque. I'm lucky because I had a toque and mitts and a ski jacket and, you know, um, you know, you get into this thing and you, and you try and you f- fall asleep on, this, on, this, on the sidewalk. And first of all, you don't sleep. Second of all, you hear every noise of the city. Third, you don't feel safe, even though you know you're relatively safe because you're surrounded by everybody. But you don't. You can only imagine what young kids are going through on the streets, sleeping completely vulnerable, completely exposed, without anybody around them. And, oh. and it makes you think. And so part of what they do is they take you in. To, before they send you out, they give you the same dinner that they give. They feed the kids, and the the time that we did it, they we had chili and um, a hamburger bun, and I think they gave us some sort of a like not coolie but something like that. So we had you know water and some sort of a, a soft drink of some sort, and then this chili and on a bun. And they brought in six kids. The The one year that I really remember so well is they brought in these six kids who had gone through the program, Jan, and who talked about why they were on the streets. And sorry, this is a long story, but I think it's an important one. So um, forgive me for no, again, no, no. saying so much. But they they had these kids and these kids stood up in front of all of these, you know, people from presidents of banks through to, you know, high profile Canadians who are are giving their time and trying to raise capital. And they talked about what, why they were on the streets, because I think you see kids and you go get a job, you know, what are you, what's wrong with you? You know, go work like you're able-bodied young kid, you know, like, why are you here? And they, for the most part of these six kids, um, a lot of them had been kicked out of their home because they were LGBTQ and their yeah, parents that, that's, had, that's very common. Yes. Literally kicked them out of their home to go live on the streets. <sighs> Some of them had gone through, you know, um, had 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 all sorts of had 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 drug problems. Some of them had gone through alcoholism. They you know they were all they were all under at the time they came into Covenant House. They were I believe all under the age of sixteen. These kids, Jan, had gone on. One had gone on to compete in um, uh, um, 
the Canadian Idol contest, and yeah. I think had come second. One had gone on to get a master's degree. One had gone on to um, become a um, a chef. Uh, these are the ones that I'm just saying off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And and they had all gone on to do something really amazing, simply because there was a shelter that helped them figure out how they could put their life together when the rest of the world had turned their backs on them. And this this was it was the most meaningful thing I can tell you. I do not look at homeless people the same anymore. They're not all looking for drugs. A lot of these kids are looking for love. What what does that solve? What what does kicking a kid out of your home solve? Like I just I don't understand it. I don't understand fear-based decisions, people that are intolerant, people that are lacking in compassion. And I and I don't have kids myself, so Arlene, I'm not in a position to to speak to it, I guess, but I you know, my brother, who's been incarcerated for almost 27 years, my parents, I mean, the things that he was up to as a young man, my parents never kicked him out. They, they, he left on his own accord, but they never, they would never even have considered it. They, they just tried so hard, loving him hard. You know, tough love, good love, you know, strict, not strict, rewards. I mean, they tried everything this you know, for him, but they they never kicked him out. So I just, I use my parents as my, they are my barometer and they are my, you know, my true north when it comes to things like that. And they just did everything they could to to help him. So I find it unacceptable. I don't know if there's an excuse in the world. You know, I liken it to people that we're moving, so we have to give up our dog. You know, screw you. You're moving, so you have to give up your dog. And you give up your kids because you're moving? Anyway, I don't want to get on that rant, but I just, I'll tell you what, the, the, the kids sure aren't at fault here. The, uh, the parents have much to atone for, and I don't care what your circumstance is. I just don't care. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear excuses. I don't, you can write me all the letters in the world. I just, I don't want to hear it. There's no, there's nothing in the world that would, you know, prompt anyone to, to boot a child out of the, your, your home. Yeah. Sorry. So, Lanta, let's talk about something a little more. Upbeat. I know exactly what I want to talk about. Go. Um, moving on. Okay, I'm not a I'm not a super sporty person, and the last thing I would ever do in my life is climb a mountain. And Mount Everest, of course, is seems seems to be on people's bucket list these days. So this year, here we are, you know, end of May. Eleven people have died on Mount Everest this year. There is a traffic jam for people waiting to get to the top. There's garbage everywhere. There's apparently dead bodies now uh, that haven't even been removed off the mountain. And um, it is, <laughs> the 300, there's three, like 300 people standing on the crest of, you know, the world's, one of the world's tallest mountains trying to get up to the top of it. I, I just thoughts. I want to know. Not something I'd ever do. And why is it more, reg- isn't it more regulated? And why are they letting this happen? And why do people want to risk their lives? Arlene, Go. <laughs> I don't know. I guess because Would you want to climb a mountain? I wouldn't want to climb Everest because I've I've watched too many documentaries about it and it looks exactly super 
super scary and hard. I, I might want to climb like Mount Kilimanjaro or something, like, which also looks super hard. But I don't like. I think people just want this whole world. We all want experiences, Jan. Everybody is giving up. Like people are saying more and more that they just want experiences in life. That's because life is becoming. Everything's accessible for the most part. You can fly anywhere in the world. You can, you know. So people want to. You know, they want to play basketball with the Raptors. They want to play hockey with the Calgary Flames. They want to, um, you know, go mountain climbing with some, you know, with Jamie Clark, who was a, you know, climbed Mount Everest many times. They want to shoot a rhino. They want oh, to kill an well, elephant. Okay, now you're they going dark again. Take Can down we not a giraffe. <laughs> Don't you know, go dark. Money. Don't go dark. Don't go okay. dark. Stay. Let's have. Let's. 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 Try and be happy right now. You just oh, you don't. Now I'm thinking about those. Oh, okay. I was thinking well, about climbing about, a mountain, you know, and now the, we're the money people spend for these experiences. Some of them are great, some of them are not so great. Anyway, carry on. That's true. Okay, that's true. Well, my point was, I think people wanting to climb Everest. I mean, listen, the you know, first of all, the Sherpas and the families that uh, of the Sherpas that are there. The people, they, it's a huge part of their economy, and but they're also endangering their lives because you know they uh, they will they take on these these um, hikes and they say a lot of them are are it's very dangerous for for them um, the the altitudes the dangerous pass in the the that they're charting etc. So I think there's an irresponsibility that goes with that for the most part. And again, this is white privilege at its best sometimes, where people just think they can just go and spend money and get anybody to do anything because they want to enjoy something. Um, not I don't know if it's just white privilege; it's wealth privilege, I guess. Wealth privilege. Anyhow. Um, Okay, well that didn't work. What else? I need I need a little bit upbeat, Jan, because I've I've had a couple down days. I'm going to be honest. I've I've been a little bit down, so I need you know I I want I, funny I did Jan that to come on out your, on your feed. Like I hadn't spoken to you, but I um yeah I I can't even tell you how normal it is, and I know it's not the word you're looking for, but you have an incredible amount of things coming at you whether it's business stuff you have kids you have so many companies you know that you are supporting and mentoring and and investing in and you have a lot of people working for you you're on a plane all the time you're speaking to large groups of people you you have to understand that there are limitations and you are going to have days I think what you had written down it's I'm I'm having a hard time humaning today or was it yeah. and and, <laughs> and like I thought it was, was it. It really it was that. a great word encapsulating it cuz to be human what is it to be human and it showed the sweetest picture of your face <laughs> and you looked like this 17-year-old girl that had been admonished to her bedroom and you know that you just <laughs> you just were kind of looking at the camera like, oh, I'm not getting out of this bed today. But I don't I don't see how I think those days are important. I don't know how you feel about it. But when I have days like that, I run with it. Yeah. I just let it take me over. And you cannot be on top of Mount Everest every day of the week. You just can't do it. Um, you have to take those times. And I think your body was speaking to you. Your intellect was speaking to you. Your body was telling you to F off. And you just, it forces you to stop. You, you probably don't stop it as much as you should. Well, the whole, the whole human, I, I'm having a hard time, 
humaning today that whole thing is because to me being a human means the having the compassion having the empathy giving your time and energy to others it's it's like there's a saying i you know i can't adult today being an adult yes. is different that's that's being responsible and accountable and all those things but to me it was like i did i felt drained that day i felt really drained i felt like i couldn't give any more of myself and I, I actually got admonished the other day from somebody who said well you never say it's good enough you always, you never tell me how good I am and I'm thinking oh my gosh I think I I feel like I'm always reinforcing how good you are <laughs> and so I, I you know I, you, I, I'm hard on myself because I hear that I think oh I need to do better about that and I probably do so I'm not saying that um, I don't but but it's important to tell people that Arlene it's I think a lot of people feel the same way and they feel inadequate. They feel like they're not, that their coping skills are somehow, you know, not up to par. If you think that life is a beer commercial, you are sadly mistooken. If you think it is, you know, these sun-drenched days and for the, it's just not. That is what, you know, I keep going back. I wind around and I get back to social media and the appearance of these lives that seem flawless and you know, without any caution, and it is not, it's not real. Um, human life, life on this planet, even, and I don't care if you have money or not, and you touched on this on another episode, that, you know, outwardly people look very beautiful, they have these great bodies, they have, they seem to have it all. Well, they're dealing with the same stuff as, as everybody else. They're dealing with deaths, they're dealing with heartbreak, they're dealing with, you know, worrying about health things. It's, being a human being comes with a lot of similarities. You know, we have a lot of things that are exactly the same with yeah. all of us. Yeah. No matter what corner of the globe we're from, there's some universality in being a human being. Um, but yeah, you you are you're hard on yourself, harder on yourself than most people that I know, because you just I I, I think. Um, just you, you you know one day down you feel like you should be accomplishing so much more you you probably should take way more time for yourself have you ever considered like working a week on and then taking a week off I, maybe that's what you should be doing you're listening to the business of life and jan arden has just finished admonishing me to take more time <laughs> off and uh, work a little bit less listen i this is what people need to do for their own mental health and i i fully believe this at this point in my life, taking time for yourself, by yourself. I don't know why so many people are adverse to spending time by themselves. And I'm talking about like an entire day. And, you know, people will say, oh, I've got kids. I've got this. I've got that. Well, get your partner to look at look after the kids. Take them to grandma and grandpa's. Take them to a sister. Take them to an aunt. You know, drop them with a friend. But you need to, one day a month even, is to have time for yourself to sit with a cup of tea, to read a book, to watch a series, to shut yourself down, to spend some time with yourself. I would, I would go so far as to say that a lot of people in this modern world that we got going here, Arlene, don't really know who they are. And they don't know who they are because they don't spend time with themselves. Well, I, I agree. I, first of all, this last weekend, I did not talk to a human for two days. So I am very, very good at shutting it down. I know myself well enough to know when I need to not interact with people, that I need to just spend time alone and, and, and think. So I think you and I are very much alike there. But what I would say is that a lot of people are finding themselves spending time alone 
and they don't necessarily want to be, but social media and the internet and kind of the lack of socialization of, you know, parties and events and dinners and family, friends coming over, et cetera, that is all changing. And people are becoming more and more isolated and spending perhaps too much time alone. So I think there's another side of that, which is, yes, you need to spend time alone to find out who you are. Um, and everybody should do that. But you also have to be careful that you're not spending so much time alone and that you start to become like I was talking about, um, I think on another podcast about how sometimes you can isolate yourself so much that you don't ever go out and do anything and that you become, it becomes hard to get out. You don't want to, you start to become antisocial. You start to become, um, you start to get anxiety. You get, people get anxiety. But you know, I'm talking about balance. Yes. I am I am talking about balance and that that's that's the other extreme. Yes, I mean there I'm sure there are people that do spend too much time alone. I might even be one of them. I may be one of those people. But I still think you you have to strive for that balance. Uh, for the most part Arlene, I think most people, I don't know what even percentage I'd be comfortable in throwing out there, don't spend any time alone. They are surrounded with people all the time. They have kids, they have jobs, they have they're in the cities. They 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 don't. They're not alone, and I don't think it's healthy. Yeah, yeah. No, fair point. It's interesting. I mean, I guess we we have how lucky are we that we get to talk to each other and we get to spend time communicating with another human being in a in a really meaningful way. And I I think that's part of the whole purpose of our podcast is to encourage other people to do exactly the same thing. Find somebody you can talk to. Find somebody who you... And and it requires an enormous amount of trust. I mean, I got to tell you, when Jan and I first started talking about this, um, everybody... I thought, oh, yeah, this is going to... Well, we'll talk. We always... We never run out of things to say when we don't. But we started to say things that I thought, am I really... And I'd listen back and go, wow, did I really say that to the you entire... You have surprised me so many times, I don't even know what to tell you. But, like, but you too. I... <laughs> well, well it's, you know, the, the, the funny thing is this all started so many years ago over you and I having dinner. Because I always would have the most interesting, intimate revealing conversations with you. We'd sit there, have a nice meal, talk about what was going on in life. We'd actually stop for a few hours. And, and it was just like, this is this would be so great to actually be able to share this kind of dialogue with other like-minded people or not like-minded people or, you know, women that, you know, just wanted to like eavesdrop. We had so many people saying, I wish I could go for dinner with you guys. And it's just, this has been, that was the catalyst to this. And I think we've stayed true to that, but oh my God, you have surprised me so many times, Arlene, with things that you've said. I've like gone home from the studio or (laughs) thought about it later that day and gone, did she actually just say that to me? So I, kudos to you, because I think you're way more brave than me. No, you're, listen, I think that's kind of the point is that you have to find somebody you can trust. And trust is something that is slipping away. I know, away but we're talking nobody, to thousands and thousands know, of people right now. I know, but I don't feel that way. I only ever think about it afterwards. <laughs> I listen go, oh, more than three people heard that. But you know, on this, you know how you're always talking about how you're starting to cry on planes? Um, a oh, lot. Oh, it never ends. I, I cry on planes a lot. Did you know that that's actually, there's actually a 
physiology behind that that you cry on planes because you're kind of out of control in the air and you don't know what's going to happen you have no control over it so you're already feeling a little bit vulnerable and emotionally kind of some distress because you you can't control anything that's happening to you you're really at somebody else's mercy which is the pilot in the planes and and so you actually are more emotional and you actually do have um higher heightened sense of of uh, fear and anxiety and potentially emotion. Plus, I also think when you get on a plane, like when I get on a plane, it's the only time that you can actually, you know, crash in terms of workload and things. So you can actually sit and think and things can get overwhelming for you. So the altitude impacts you, the vulnerability impacts you. So it's a thing, Jan, it's not just you. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And having said that, just about crying, I never ever want to make it sound like I don't welcome it because I do. I always feel better afterwards. I always, I don't know what, I'm, I don't know what gets released in your body. I don't know what <clears throat> crying does, but I always feel an enormous sense of relief. I feel like my anxiety lifts a little bit. My eyes actually feel pretty good, you know, just, just having this cry to myself. And I look out the window and I look down. Everything looks so small. All the problems that we have seem diminished. I always find perspective. And, you know, that I, I put things into their proper place when I'm up there. I know I have friends that have flown maybe once or twice in their lives. I'm not kidding you. Oh, we went to Hawaii in 86. And then <laughs> I think we flew to <laughs> Winnipeg what? that time. I'm like, holy crap. How many- I'm just like. Air Canada keeps sending me these little model planes because I fly so much. I'm like, oh, I got another plane. But I just think there's so much importance in being vulnerable, letting yourself be vulnerable, letting yourself have intimate conversations. I worry about people that don't have that in their lives, that really don't have a place where they can be really revealing um, I was, I'm, I'm working here in Vancouver with a group of friends and I said to my friend who's been, they've been together 20 years and I asked her about her sex life and we all broke into hilarious laughter because I said, so at 20, the 20 year mark, do you guys still have sex all the time? But it really, it was like it opened up this conversation where everyone was kind of relieved to talk about something other than what are we going to order for lunch? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really great point. I mean, don't be afraid to admit you don't know. Don't be afraid to ask, you know, to to ask people's advice or, you know, get their input. Don't be afraid to. People always say, you know, who do you have as a mentor? And I always go like, listen, a mentor is the person sitting right next to you. If you just literally ask anybody you met and said, hey, tell me about the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. Or tell me about the time when you thought you were going to quit and didn't. Or tell me about kind of how you've learned how to navigate through, you know, some of the challenges in life. If you asked any single human being any of those questions or anything basic around their lessons in life, you would be shocked at the things people would say. You would be surprised by the volume of knowledge and wisdom and, and, and people would be 
they would probably be delighted that somebody cared enough to believe that they had something to share. Because a lot of times we think, oh, I'm just a normal person. I'm just average. I don't have anything to share. No, that's not true. You have so much to share, everyone. Yeah. You have so many stories. And, 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 and it's, it's a reminder to us all to ask questions yes, of other people. Ask yes. them about themselves. Yes. There's, there's so many times, I, you know, you can only talk about the weather and, and frivolous things for so long, but I, I really do believe we live in a political climate, certainly, where we're, we're not always at ease asking people. My, my friend, I'm not going to say her name because she's got such a, an in, in, like a unique name that it's the only one that I know. Let's call her Barb. When I asked Barb just about that, you know, so at 20 years, are you still, it was, there was such a relief. Like, it really, there was lots of smiles, there was lots of joy, and she was so open in answering. Well, that's a good question. You know, sometimes this happens, we go in spurts, or this, and I just, we really enjoyed the conversation, and everybody joined in. There were six of us, and everybody joined in, and we loved it. We talked for like an hour. Very cool. Well, I think what we're talking about here, everybody, is that your story is worth telling. Your story is worth sharing, that you have things that you've overcome that, other people don't understand about you and don't be afraid to to help others learn by being willing to be vulnerable and share the things you've gone through and when you do that you connect with other humans and when you connect with other humans you create stories together and you create memories together and you help each other and I think that's what Jen and I try to do on this podcast each and every week when we speak and I really appreciate what you share with me Jen I I have learned so very very much from your stories and your willingness to be vulnerable Um, so thank you thank you for thanking me for thanking you (laughs) talk to your friends everyone talk to your friends la 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 la